You get these questions a lot. Where are you from? And what do you do? That's what you get asked, right? Meeting someone new if you're at a party or maybe on your dating profile. So why not just tell the world? We just launched a brand new online store that tells people where you're from and what you do. It has all 50 U.S. states and some countries represented with physical therapist gear at ptpinecast.com. A stainless steel tumbler for a PT in Tennessee. Check. South Carolina PT t-shirts. Double check. Face masks for a Florida PT. Yeah, we got that. Great gear for life, all with your profession and the home state on it. Great gifts for yourself, a colleague, a clinical instructor, a student, all now at ptpinecast.com. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This is the PT Pinecast. I was asked to give like an in-service at Mount Sinai Hospital in the Abilities Research Center for researchers. And uh, my in-service, the topic that I picked was amplifying your research message. These are smart physicians, physical therapists, other healthcare providers who are conducting rehabilitation research for adults and children. And I look at this from a communications perspective saying, hey, you do great work. How can I help? How can I help it become more widely known? How can I help it reach the audiences you, as the researcher, think it should be in front of? So uh, I narrowed it down to seven steps to amplifying your research message. I hit the record button and I'll share it with you today because I don't think you just necessarily need to be a researcher to benefit from this. These seven steps are the things I go through every time we launch a new campaign with the podcast or any organization I'm consulting with. So take a listen to this professional development in service I did with Mount Sinai. Seven steps to amplifying your research message or any message. That's the secret. Follow us online. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PT Pinecast. We are actually also simultaneously streaming this on the uh, Rehabilitation and Human Performance Twitter feed, as you'll see. So today, the title of presentation is Seven Steps to Amplifying Your Research Message. And before we started uh, recording, we mentioned Jimmy Loves the Spotlight. So my first topic will be, I would like to talk about me. So that's what we'll start with. Uh, This is who I am, as Jimmy mentioned, Jimmy McKay, I'm a physical therapist. But what I do is I help smart and passionate healthcare providers get their messages to the people they want to help. That is it, as simply as I can say it. And there's my email address, james.mckay at mountsinai.org. That's how you can reach me. Now, how did I actually wind up here with a PT degree in communications? It's a little bit roundabout, but here's how it happened. This is what my office used to look like. Bonus points, if anybody knows who I'm actually interviewing there. I'm the guy with a lot less hair. The guy on the left, anybody? No, that uh, that is Sinister Gates from Avenged Sevenfold, pretty big rock band. And the people that I am serving are actually the sweaty T-shirt clad people in the background there as we were at a rock festival. So this is what I used to do. I used to facilitate um, a relationship between a radio station and an audience. And this is kind of what it, it used to look like. Used to hang out with rock stars all day, give away concert tickets, give away beer. And they say, don't meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you. Dave Matthews did not disappoint me. Terribly nice individual. And uh, if any of you guys are a fan of this band, Foo Fighters, I can talk about these guys all day. Love these guys. Just really interesting. So this is what my life was like. 
I wanted to do it since I was in sixth grade. I did the morning announcements in sixth grade and I went home and I just told my mom, I was like, I know exactly what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. And she's like, I don't think the morning announcements are actually a job, but she understood what I was, I was getting at. So I went to school for a degree in journalism and mass communication. And I ran radio stations in New York and Pennsylvania for about 15 years. And that's it. I was set. I was done. I was going to do that for the rest of my life until one day I just didn't want to anymore. Nothing, nothing catastrophic happened, but I just began to try to fall, almost like fall out of love with my profession. So I decided to make a change and change course. And um, let me see if I can expand this out. I decided to change course just a little bit and went back to PT school, as Jamie mentioned. So here I am with my classmates, went to Marymount University. And in PT school, you get to taste and sample a lot of different parts of the PT profession. And the interesting part, since I was a second career student, a lot of my classmates were about 10 years younger than me, but they were also sure about what they were going to be doing in the profession. I mean, like very sure I'm going to work in this setting for this type of organization in this place. And I didn't dislike anything that I learned. All right. Maybe wound care. Definitely didn't love wound care. Um, but I definitely, I didn't love any one aspect of it. I liked everything, but didn't love anything. And the more sure my classmates were, the more unsure I felt and I didn't know where I fit. So I course corrected again. What I did was instead of stepping out of my comfort zone, I actually brought my comfort zone into my PT school education. Uh, I started a podcast where I got to interview smart and passionate physical therapists and let them talk about what they were smart and passionate about. And that was my way of kind of cheating, using a little bit of a cheat code to bring other people's insight into my world in my way. So instead of stepping out of my comfort zone, I just sort of like wrapped myself in my comfort and then walked around the, the PT profession in a little bit of a bubble. But here's the thing. I still didn't know where I belonged in the profession and I was getting closer and closer to graduating. And as you get closer to graduating, people keep saying, what are you going to do? Where are you going to practice? And that question doesn't stop. It actually becomes more frequent the closer you get to graduation. And this is where another course correction took place. In my third year in PT school, Marymount University does a service learning trip to Costa Rica. And if you haven't been, Costa Rica is actually even more beautiful than that picture paints it. It is an amazing country. And there we got to work in an orphanage for two weeks. And we worked with kids who mostly had CP, but there was a range of diagnosis. And working in this setting, you get to do pretty much everything. I mean, you really just kind of get thrown into it and you get to do pretty much anything that, uh, that the staff on hand will allow you to do. And while I was there, I met one particular kid. And our interaction really changed the course of my career. And his name was Hainer. Hainer did not have CP. Hainer had muscular dystrophy. And fully cognitively intact, he had a little bit of wrist function, a little bit of cervical function in, in rotation. But mostly, Hainer spent his day uh, sitting in a tilt and space chair, completely dependent, but still one of those people where you say like, wow, just met him. Happiest kid in the world. Just happy to be around his friends, happy to talk about soccer, uh, happy to mess with the American kid who barely spoke any Spanish. Just, just, just thrilled to be there and working with Hainer for two weeks. Um, I definitely felt like I had a place. I was excited to see him every morning. So he really made the experience different for me. 
Um, but the one thing that stuck with me was this idea. I left him there no better than I had found him. With muscular dystrophy, it wasn't like I was going to fix anything. Really, it, my job was there to uh, to change his experience. We got to bring him to a water park. We got to bring him to his first movie ever. Even though these two things were less than a mile away from where he lived, he was just never able to do it. So we did those things. But I was leaving, I was leaving there with him no better than I had found him. And that part really stuck with me. So this is where the, the road forks yet again. After our, uh, after our trip, we were on spring break and we stayed in Costa Rica and rented an Airbnb like most college kids would uh, with, uh, with a, a pool in our living room and there were monkeys on the porch and college students on spring break for a week in Costa Rica. And the first night, maybe a few drinks in, uh, my classmates were all having fun, but I was stuck on that phrase. I left him there no better than I had found him. And it was really, really bothering me. So this is where my world sort of collided. I had started that podcast and I was connected with an audience. So I decided to see if I could connect that audience to this story. So I started doing episodes about muscular dystrophy, about seating and positioning, about wheelchairs. We knew we could change his minute to minute existence if he had a power wheelchair. But again, Hayner lived in an orphanage in Costa Rica. That was just not, it was not going to happen. It wasn't possible. So I used, I used again, my comfort zone or my strength, and I kept telling his story to anybody that would listen. From the day that I was in Costa Rica, and I'd started a GoFundMe when I decided I was going to get him a power wheelchair, there were 66 days until graduation. And I knew I wanted to walk across that stage, knowing I had accomplished at least one thing. I had no idea where I was going to go in my PT career, didn't know where I belonged, but I knew that if I could do one thing, I would feel like I at least accomplished something. So with about three days left before graduation, we actually hit our goal and were able to buy him a $35,000 per mobile power wheelchair. So here I am pictured in the wheelchair, in the airport, because if you've ever traveled internationally, you know that sometimes equipment, the paperwork for equipment can get lost. And I was bringing that chair down there. I had 48 hours to fly down, instruct him and his caregivers how to use and operate and care for it before I was flying out. So I actually rode in onto the airplane in it. I wouldn't get off until they put me back in the chair and I rode it all the way to the orphanage. Um, the, the fun moment, the payoff moment was when I had the opportunity to, uh, to do it live on a podcast. We positioned him in the chair, but I made the, the fatal student PT error. I didn't disengage the joystick, forgot to do that. So as we positioned him in there, he, I think he honestly thought this was just another tilt and space chair. He had, he had had chairs for, for years. He was used to wheelchairs, but as we positioned him in the chair, his, his arm sort of flung out to the side. And his hand bumped the joystick and it sort of lurched. And then you could see the look at his face where he was kind of like, hang on a second, this is not normal. My professor joined me on my trip as my translator. And she said, what do you, what's the first question you want to ask him? And I said, well, this, this chair goes where you want it to go, not the other way around. Where do you want to go? And if he didn't have the perfect 18-year-old dude answer, he said, uh, I just want to ride. 
I mean, that's, that's going through all of our minds, right? When you get your driver's license. So my job was there to deliver the chair, but it was also to teach him how to use it and his caregivers how to take care of it. So for the first 20 minutes, he drove around like he was severely intoxicated. He smashed into everything. I mean, this was brand new. Um, I was, I kept thinking, please stop smashing the $35,000 wheelchair that we just got you. Uh, the next 20 minutes, a little shaky. He didn't damage anything or hurt anybody. And in the final 20 minutes of that first hour, he navigated himself down a path, uh, around a post, through a doorway, and sat himself at the head of the table for lunch. And I remember thinking, my work here is done. So Hainer really taught me that there was an intersection between what I was able to do or what I was good at, what I liked doing, what I thought the world needed, and this world of, of PT. I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but I knew if I could make a difference in one situation, what if I took that idea and brought it to another? It was about six months later that uh, my professor, who had been my translator in Costa Rica gave me a call. I was working in my first job after PT school at an outpatient clinic. And she was there or she was calling to, uh, to let me know that Hainer had actually passed away. And that one was a little hard to take. He was 18 years old with muscular dystrophy. We knew this uh, eventually would happen, but it still didn't, it still didn't soften the blow. Um, but I thought, was it worth it for a quick second to myself? And then I came up with the conclusion, of course it was. We had given him about six uh, months of complete mobility. He had, a, he had that basic human right of mobility. And would I do it all over again? Absolutely. So he really taught me more about where I could belong or what I am capable of than anything I learned in PT school or probably in my radio career. So which leads me to this idea here that science isn't finished until it's communicated. And what I mean by this is the orphanage we were treating at for, for those two weeks, it was a site for PT, OT, physician's assistant, nurses. It was a regular site visited from students around the world. Hundreds, if not thousands of students met him and interacted with him over the 10 or so years that he had been there. But no one had thought to connect the dots between what he needed and where he was. And that led me to believe that maybe they just didn't understand that they had the permission to do that. Or maybe they didn't know that they were capable of doing that. But for me, I, I lucked out and I, that, that was a clear path for me. That was something very, very easy for me to see. So that is where this circuitous route of my career really began. And that was what led me to that that statement that I made in the beginning, which is I, I help smart and passionate healthcare practitioners have their message reach the people they want to help. And that's what I'm here today to teach you. So now I will begin my presentation. So seven steps to amplifying your research message. First of all, why is it important? Well, there's you and there's your idea. And then around you, you've got everybody else that you want to reach. The thing to keep in mind is their attention is limited. This world is noisy and it is getting noisier every single day. 
You are constantly bombarded with messages when you go online or notifications, even when your phone is just sitting there on your desk. So step one is to identify who those people are. Who are you trying to reach? So step one, know the audience. And what I mean by know the audience, try to understand and aim small. What does your intended audience want? What do they fear? What do they hope? What do they need? What are they interested in? Where are they? And that location can be geographic or it can be platform-based in terms of social media content. It could be where are they in their career? Also, what do they prefer? So step one is sitting down and saying, who am I crafting this message for? So understanding your audience should be number one. Step number two, well, take a good hard self-assessment at yourself. What do you have of value? What can you offer? The three questions you see on the screen are, what do you do? How does it make my life better? And what do I need to do to get it? Keep in mind, I want you answering these questions from your audience's perspective. Are you being clear enough so your audience can answer these three questions without having to think about it? It's actually called the grunt test. And it's called the grunt test because your audience should be able to answer these three questions in just a grunt, just like a caveman. <clears throat> they should be able to regurgitate that very, very quickly. So easy, without thinking. And this is on you as the sender. If your audience is confused, you have to own that message. If, you, if there is unclarity, it is not on the audience. You cannot blame them. You must take ownership of cleaning up your own message. So there's the grunt test. What do you do? Can, you, can your audience clearly identify that? How would it make my life better? How would it make your audience's life better? Then and only then will they ask, what do I need to do to get it? How many hoops do I need to jump through? But these are the questions that you are probably already asking as you're scrolling through your newsfeed. You're already asking these questions. Yes, no. When you pause on something, maybe you're looking for more information. And remember, if you confuse your audience at any point during these three steps, they're gone. And it's your fault. We all love pop quizzes. In the chat right now, I want to know, what was my grunt test? I've said it twice already. I clearly laid out what do I do? How would it make your life better? And then what do you need to do to get it? Can anybody give me any part in the chat? So what do I do? How might it make your life better? And then what would you need to do to get it? This is interactive. I'm going to sit here until someone at least throws an answer. Help us disseminate our messages. Great. Perfect. Thank you, Jamie, for saving me for the interactivity there. So yeah, so I said, this is my message. I try to make it as clear as possible. I help smart, passionate healthcare providers get their messages to the people they want to help. There's my email address. I don't need to go into detail about how many downloads I've had or what my career was before that. If I'm interacting with someone who knows nothing about me, I want to make sure that that message is as clear as possible in those three steps. What do you do? How could it make my life better? And what do I need to do to get it? All right, we're doing seven steps, which means we're on number three. Number three is tell a story. 
doesn't need to be a 15 minute long story about how you went to Costa Rica and you bought a wheelchair for a kid. Doesn't need to be. Anecdotes. Put your audience into the presentation that you're trying to accomplish. There are also three elements, three good elements to any story. And they are ethos, pathos, and logos. And for all of you, I'm sure you studied Latin all the time, so you know exactly what those are. But I was taught ethos, um, credibility, and ethics. So in the story that I told about Hayner, I was really honest about my vulnerability, right? I was, I was honest about um, how I didn't know where I fit. And if you've ever felt like that, you probably felt a connection. And that's one of the reasons we tell stories. Um, pathos, feelings and emotions. I tried to make you feel, see, or know a little bit about Hayner. So now this story mattered. There was drama. There was tension. You could picture that. And then Logos is logic or reasoning. I knew my audience. I knew there were healthcare providers in there. And you could see, yeah, I could see where a power wheelchair would significantly change this boy's existence. So telling that story in the middle hopefully made you care. Care enough to pay attention for just a little bit. So step three Focus on how you can tell a story in your presentation. It will make it memorable. All right, up next, step four. And this one is where a lot of people will fall off. A lot of people might accomplish the first three, but there's a severe drop-off at step four, and that's create content. You've got to make sure you tell your story in a lot of different ways. I mentioned the world is noisy, and getting noisier and busier and faster every single day. It's easier for your message to get lost now more than ever. So you're looking at the, uh, the pyramid of content. At the top, you'll see pillar content, like a podcast, a video, uh, a webinar or a live event, or a blog, an article, uh, a, a presentation. Those are your pieces of pillar content, very long form. Those are the things you work on, a TED Talk, but how can you make those shareable? How can you spread those out so your audience interacts with it more frequently? That's where we move down a little bit lower on that pyramid and call it micro content. Could you create a quick article about it? Could you create a meme or a GIF or a graphic with a quote from your larger pillar piece of content? Maybe a short video, uh, a video clip. After that, the idea is then you share it. And that is how you try to spread your message. But don't fall off on just creating the pillar content and expecting the audience to follow suit. Remember, they're busy and they've got to see value in it. Relationship theory would never work like this, right? You meet someone for coffee and then you're dating after one coffee? No way. So then how can you expect someone to be scrolling through their newsfeed and see one post and the next thing you know, you're following them or you're subscribed to their channel. It's too big of a leap. So this is relationship theory. This is more like relationship actual. You have coffee. Maybe you go, maybe you go see a movie. Then there's dinner or two. Then maybe a weekend away. And then you're dating. I give this example intentionally because you need to be providing value in the long term so the, your audience can see why they should go and build a relationship with you. And again, I use that word relationship intentionally. The idea is this is all part of public relations, which is building a relationship with the public. So in terms of content, sometimes people think, well, I just want to get on someone's news feed in front of their eyes, and then they'll jump to listening to my 45-minute long podcast, or they'll watch my, my webinar. 
you skipped too many steps. What you've got to do is you've got to win their attention on their eyes. And then you give them value in that in terms of micro content. Then they might give you a click and read a little bit more. Do this over and over. Then you have the opportunity to go into a relationship where they are receiving information, value from you, that they are willing to say, yeah, I don't want to miss out on anything this person's putting out. This is the follow. This is, this is what I'll give the follow. This is what I'll give that subscribe. So this is content relationship. This is actually how it works. Example time. Jenna dropped off, but this is an example we use with Jenna. Jenna just happened to be the first person with a project for me to sink my teeth into when I first got here uh, at Mount Sinai. So Jenna Tosto Mancuso was part of a live webinar. There's Jenna. She was part of a live webinar with a PT practice here in New York City, and it was on long, long COVID rehabilitation. So she did that webinar. I had no idea until the day before, but I got that video and I was able to create between, uh, between 10 and 15 pieces of micro content, little 60 second video clips, some quotes with their picture from the actual longer piece of content. And I shared them in a variety of ways. We did that for about a week and a half until all of you watching me were like, oh my gosh, we're going to hear more about Jenna. Isn't there anybody else that works here? But she just happened to be my first really good example. So that is the idea on how to use that pyramid in action. So this is what it actually looked like. There was that live stream. I broke it into those small bits of content and I shared it through our channels. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Uh, here was the long COVID live stream with Darren Brown, with Jamie, with Laura, and with Jenna. Same example. We did one live stream for 20 minutes where each one of our guests answered two to three questions about a world physio briefing paper. That was our pillar content. From there, I made about 12 video clips, three or four from each of the speakers, some really great moments. And I've been sharing them throughout the last few days since that happened through our Instagram, our Twitter, and, uh, and both stories. What did that actually do? Well, without any paid advertising, it got 36,000 impressions in seven days with more than 750 engagement and 2,000 views on that webinar. Because we were able to use the principles we've talked about so far, it's had some reach. In fact, in the last month, with all the different pieces of content, our statistics on the rehabilitation page have gone up considerably. This is the audience telling you without telling you that they appreciate the information that you're giving out. In fact, this very presentation, this one, this is very meta, the presentation I'm doing right now to you. It is a video and a live stream as we live stream on Twitter. I'll eventually break it up into pieces of micro content. Maybe I'll take each slide and put it into a Twitter thread and give a little explanation. Maybe I'll take a few of the clips that are really good and make videos and put them on Instagram and Twitter as short video clips and link them back to the long uh, to, the, to the piece of pillar content. So that is that is how I'm thinking when I'm looking at a piece of content that you guys are creating. Step five: be the guide and not the hero. This one is um, is sometimes hard to wrap your head around. The first time I heard it, I didn't understand it. But in this situation here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what you're looking at. Uh, this guy on a date with this girl has just spent 15 minutes 
talking all about him. He's talking all about his uh, his band with his buddies and the car he has and how he skateboards. Everything is about him. So the girl doesn't know where she fits in the story. This feels like a story all about him. So when she feels that, she's checked out. The idea is if you're creating content for an audience and you keep positioning yourself as the hero of the story, the audience does not know where they fit. They think, hey, man, cool story, bro. But I don't see how this will help me. Therefore, I'm going to kind of check out right now. My good example is be like Yoda. I apologize for anybody who is not a fan of Star Wars, but I'm going to use this example because I think it's the most fitting uh, when these two first met, Luke was looking for this Jedi master. So he assumed big, strong guy, but he met the little green one. Now Yoda could have started in and talked about how he was the hero. I mean, he's got the cred. He's been a Jedi master for hundreds of years. He's trained many a Jedi. As we see a few movies later, he was really good in a fight. But he acted like the guide and not the hero. He acted like the guide to get Luke to what he wanted to become and not about, he didn't act as if he was the guy who was already there. So be the guide and not the hero in the story to draw your audience in. You, no matter what content you're creating, are trying to transform your audience into something. In research, they don't know something, they want to, you are gonna be their guide to explain how they can understand it. So be the guide and not the hero, and your audience, it gives them an opportunity, it gives them space to join the story. Step number six, act like shampoo. How many of you, just show of hands, use shampoo? Okay, good, awesome. Do you use it properly? I don't think you do, because if you did, you would just keep using it until there was no shampoo, because the instructions are lather, rinse, and repeat. It just, it says, keep going. You'd still be there just and infinitely out of shampoo. So be like shampoo, act like shampoo really is just my nod to consistency. So lather, rinse, repeat, create, share, and repeat. You should be thinking, how can I engage an audience? Again, creating your, or amplifying your research message is about building an audience. And that audience wants to find value from you so you need to do it consistently to gain momentum. And here are two phrases that you can remember for this message. And it's pay attention and spend time. I've heard this from teachers and professors. I want you to pay attention to this. Really need you to spend some time working on this and understanding this. And what I found out or what I noticed about these two phrases is that they're transactional. Pay and spend and attention and time. So in this relationship with you and them, you have to pay and spend for their attention and time. Remember that. So offering good quality content that is about them, making sure they are seen as the hero in any situation or any interaction, and they will willingly, we all do this, offer up our attention and time to people who create good content that is aimed at me because they paid attention to their audience, they knew what they were good at, and they framed it well. So pay attention and spend time. If you want your audience to pay attention, right? If you want attention and time, are you paying and spending? And it doesn't necessarily mean to be monetary. In fact, most of the time it isn't. It's in quality content and, and really being thoughtful about crafting it. 
Step seven, be novel. There's a great book by a guy by the name of Seth Godin called Purple Cow. And the story around Purple Cow is on his ride to work every day, he, he, he drove by a farm. And the first couple times he did that drive, he noticed all the cows. Two, three months in, they kind of fade into the background. But if one of those days he drove by and there standing along the fence, chewing cud, was a purple cow, he'd say, oh my gosh, there's a purple cow. He'd get to work and he'd tell everybody, did you see the purple cow out on the street? It's crazy. I've never seen one of those before. Two or three weeks into that drive, that purple cow, as amazing as it was the first time you saw it, that starts to fade. In the beginning, it was remarkable which is a great word, worthy of making a remark about. That purple cow stood out. It was novel. After a while, it isn't. So this step is how can you do the same thing? It, it was still a cow, but it was purple. It was a little bit different. But remember, after a while, that purple isn't going to be as novel anymore. Yeah, yeah, we saw that already. So how can you take that message and make it novel in its delivery or in the location that it's at? So how can you make your message novel so it stands out? How can you be remarkable? All right, so I promise you there were seven steps in amplifying your research message. I'll give you a bonus tip. So here's the bonus step. And the bonus tip is seven. In advertising, they have found that the average person needs to be exposed to a message approximately seven times. Seven is the magic number. So you see where all the previous steps, the seven steps that led up to this, invite and really, really force you to be repetitive and to continually create content. So in summary, know thy audience, know thyself, see if you can tell a story, uh, create that content. Try to be the guide and not the hero. Invite the audience to be the hero of that story. You are the guide that will help them become what they, what they are looking to become. Lather, rinse, repeat. And that magic number is seven, along with that purple, purple cow of being novel. In closing, I repeat my message. I'm Jimmy McKay, and I help smart and passionate healthcare providers get their messages to the people that they want to help. And you can reach me at that email address, which is james.mckay at mountsinai.org. Follow us online. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PT Pinecast. All right, show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management. Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. ptpinecast.com. Created by Build PT.
Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.